dark side. Light this bitch up. What is up? Oh, my intro just went away. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fury, and this is Blackballed. Okay, sorry about that choppy intro, everybody, but today we have a Blackballed doubleheader. And I'm actually really pumped. I used to go to a place uh, when I lived in Toronto called Grossman's Tavern. And it was a really amazing, and it still is, I think, uh, but it was a really amazing blues bar when I lived there. I haven't lived in Toronto in about six years. But it was always a really cool place to go to see like heavy hitters in the blues scene. And, um, and, and, you know, it, and it's a small venue and it's intimate and it's dope. Like, like all the best players kind of played there. And there is a legendary blues band called the Downchild Blues Band. I think they just go by Downchild, Downchild now, who have been around um, since the early days in 1969. I think they celebrated their 50th. I think it was in 2019. And now um, they are playing tomorrow night at Massey Hall. And today we have one of the best horn players ever. Okay. And this is coming. And he's one of those guys that has a reputation for being like just a brilliant horn player from industry people. And I always love those cats. Um, you know, the, you always hear about these, sometimes musicians um, have like, uh, obviously they have uh, stellar careers, but they are famous among famous people because of how talented they are. And we have one of those dudes here today. He is Pat Carey. Pat, how are you, buddy? Hey, James. How you doing? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for all the kind words. No, no problem at all. Listen, um, uh, you're you're a wind instrument player, so I, I was it, it, I was I was trying to wait to uh, figure out a way to word this. I had a harmonica player on before, and my first question to him, um, and and you know, it, it's an honest question, but it's kind of you know, um, not PC, but you're probably really good at cunnilingus. I'm imagining. Is that correct? <laughs> so they say. Yes. <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, I, listen, I, I wanted to know something because I, I know musicians. I'm 46, and I know musicians that have played for 20 years or 30 years and this and that. When do you come into a place where you're like, my entire identity for literally three quarters of my life is playing this instrument? And are you, is it something that you have to kind of like get used to you know, like, is I, I, I'm not asking if you get bored with it, but like, I, I need to know what it's like to be that because most of the musicians I know end up putting out a couple albums and then they go become managers at like a Home Depot. So, right. uh, you know, like, what is it like to sort of have that as your identity? Are you living the dream? I guess is my question. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, from the age of, I mean, I started playing in bars when I was 15 years old up in Thompson, Manitoba. Right. I, I was born in the Paw, Manitoba went to high school in Thompson. So I started playing there, moved to Winnipeg when I graduated high school and just fell into the music industry then. And I've been playing professionally since 1977 and it's never stopped. Winnipeg it doesn't get the um, credit it deserves for being one of the most artistic cities, not just in Canada, but anywhere. Yes, that is true. There's so much going on in Winnipeg for such a small place. You know? And is it is it a good place to cut your teeth as a musician? Yeah, it was a great place to uh, to be young, and especially in the late 70s, because there was so much music going on in Winnipeg. Uh, and every band, whether they were a, a blues band, rock band, everybody played original music. 
everybody. And when I moved to Toronto in 1984, somebody went, oh, do you want to go see this clone band? And I'm going, what's a clone band? Is that what they called Never, them? Clone uh, bands? Yeah, clone bands. Oh, wow. <laughs> or cover bands or, you know. So like like oh right okay so the, the clone bands were the ones that just changed one word to the to the name of the band like Furvana, yeah, yeah. And, or you know a, tri- a tribute to ACDC or you know there was so, a band who was the you probably know the name of this band um oh Caution Jam yep Caution Jam was like whenever I knew they were playing I had to go see them with my buddy who got me into it I I, I didn't know who they were until like I don't know the early two thousands or something but holy crap it was like listening to the Grateful Dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, super talented. So yeah. tell me about the show tomorrow. It's at Massey Hall, which is one of my favorite venues in the entire city. Yes. And it's yeah, go ahead. First, it's going to be our first time in the renovated Massey Hall. So, Oh, is it renovated now? Is that what yeah. that whiteness is in the background, or is that taken somewhere else? No, that, that was taken. That was taken at the Southside Shuffle in Port Credit. That okay. But yeah, Massey Hall just reopened, uh, I believe, last fall. It was closed for a couple of years for renovation. Right on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is. It, it it was a beautiful venue. I'm sure it's still beautiful. Did they refurbish or did they like redesign the whole thing? Did you do sound check there yet? Like, what's what, no, what's uh, it look like now? But we haven't seen. I'll see tomorrow afternoon at sound check. Okay, well that's interesting because they. I, I loved how classic it looked. Like, you yes. know, it it was like the opera house, but not as dingy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um. So where do you live now? I live in Etobicoke. You live in Etobicoke. Um. Yeah. Give me an idea of of what it is like um, to, because by the time you got there, what you were there, you got to Downchild in what, what was it, 1985, I think? Yeah, June of June of 85. Already a legendary band. Did yes. you have to try out or did they just tap you? Like, how does that work? Uh, when I first moved to Toronto, I was playing with Donnie's brother, Hawk. And Hawk, because Hawk had left Downchild at that time. So he was going by Canada's blues singer, Hawk Walsh. And Donnie was just restarting Downchild after Jane Basie had passed away. Okay. And that was uh, uh, Jane, Jane and Donnie were boyfriend and girlfriend, and her passing away was very upsetting for him. So he actually had shut the band down for a couple of years because she passed away in 82. So wow. the album I first played on was sort of the Downchild comeback album. It was called It's Been So Long. And that came out in uh, 1985 or 86. Okay. Um. I'm looking at all the people that you've played with, and it's it's crazy. Sarah Vaughn, Tony Bennett, Mel Torme, Buddy Guy, Sam Moore, Little Anthony, The Drifters, um, Dan Aykroyd. And so my understanding is that uh, Downchild was the inspiration for the Blues Brothers. Is that right? That's totally true. Yeah. So have you ever seen the movie, I think it's, is it called 20 Feet from Stardom? No, that's, uh, I, I know all, I've heard about it. I'm, okay. So- I'm wondering if session musicians feel the same way that background vocalists feel like where they're, you know what I mean? Like they play with all these famous people and you listen, I'm one of those guys that like, I think guys like you hold it down for the famous people. I think that yes. they would be lost without you. Yeah. Right. That's, so, that's a big part of truth in that. Yeah. So can you give me, I want to get into that conversation with you a little bit because my world is hip hop. And so I'm trying to like, um, uh, discover what your world is like. And when I think about session musicians or background singers, I always end up thinking about that. So do you have any like insights or stories that you can tell that kind of lives in that vein? Yeah, I mean, uh, session musicians, I mean, it's, it's meant different things in different decades, obviously. But, you know, in the 1970s, for example, uh, and I would presume early 70s, um, uh, 
his name, uh, Bob Seeger. He came up to Toronto to record, uh, 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 was it against? No, um, Night Moves was right. recorded in Toronto. So that was all pro Toronto guys. Doug Riley played organ on it. Uh, the background vocals were all girls from Toronto. Mm -hmm. But in the 1970s, everything was done with live players in the studio. So That's the a Nashville thing, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. and you know, in any style of music in those days, it was, you know, it wasn't done with machine. It was done with live players. And that continued, you know, through the 80s, even in, into the 90s. Uh, electronica, a little more starting into uh, 90s, 2000s. But all the live music, blues and jazz, is still all done with live players in the studio. Yeah, I don't think, I, like, I mean, there's people are talking a lot about AI and, and what that's going to do. There was an interview um, with Portishead um, from like, I think it was like, it was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And even though they use the drum machine as part of their act, the example that this, uh, the, the lead singer gave when she was talking about um, the sort of invasion of digital sound was that, you know, this, you might be able to find a way to get a guitar to do everything that you want to do by using a computer except hearing the fingers drag on the strings and the human right. element of playing. Right. Blues will never be invaded if that's kind of the case, right? Exactly. Blues and jazz. I mean, yeah, jazz, experimental jazz, that could happen. But yeah, with with roots music, mm -hmm. and that includes, you know, country flavored music, blues music, what we used to call rhythm and blues music. That's, that's to me, I don't see that ever changing. That's going to be live players. Yeah. You know? Um, can you give me um, a, a Mel Torme story? Because I can't even oh. imagine what he might be like in person. <laughs> well, those those four people that you mentioned, Mel Torme and uh, Lionel Hampton, Sarah yeah. Vaughn, and Tony Bennett, that yeah. was when I was in Winnipeg. And I believe it was about 1979. And the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra would bring those people in as guests. Oh, but wow. they would hire a big band to supplement the orchestra. Right. So on the stage, there would be, you know, over 100 people on the stage. So I was playing alto in the big band with Mel Torme at that, or with all those guys at that. It all happened like 1979, 1980. So we basically, they have their book. They come in. They rehearse with the big band and the symphony. Yeah. And uh, then you do the show. So the funniest guy was Lionel Hampton, because Lionel turned to the Winnipeg Symphony and he's, you know, in the middle of a tune, and he, he turned to everybody and he went, let's jam! <laughs> all the string like, players are like, huh? <laughs> what's I don't get paid to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> all um, the guys the big dad started jamming. And, <laughs> you, you know, know what's funny? I never understood what a conductor really does. Like, like really, are you really going to go off point if he stops doing this? Well, yeah. With a symphony orchestra, absolutely. Really? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. With a big band, not so much. But. Yeah, um, I'm going to play a solo that I found um, <clears throat> online before we went on air because I want people to understand who we're dealing with here. Um, okay. And and you are, I, I I listened to about an hour or so of your stuff preparing for this yesterday, and then I was just like, this is uh, like you're you're just amazing. So I'm going to play this, and we'll come back in a second. <laughs>
first of all, I love the way the session guitarist looks at you because he's young. He looks a little green almost. And he's looking at you like, wow, this is fucking amazing. I'm playing with Patrick. <laughs> but another thing that I that it reminded me of, I'm I'm into hip hop and there's a weird trend that's happening. And I have a funny feeling that it started with blues. Because um there are when I was growing up in the nineties, rappers would um fall off uh the scene roughly the same time athletes would like in their mid to late thirties and they would just, that would be it for them. But certain musicians that keep going, do people like yourself, do you feel like you get better at, at, with age because you're just, you just, you don't stop and you keep going. And so that muscle never relaxes. I, and I think, you know, as you get older, there's more clarity to the music. You're not ever second guessing yourself. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm going to play. I know what it's going to sound like. The only, you know, the only intangibles are, do I have a good read or, you know, can I hear myself well enough? Things like that. But, right. you know, just with the experience, that's what you gain. Just, I'm going to go do it. I know what to do. I know what's going to sound good. Right. Do you have like a, an area, like, it's a, it's a weird question to ask, I know, but it, I mean, did, were, did, would other people say that, oh, Pat, when Pat Carey was in his prime, or are <laughs> you, st- are you been riding your prime since like the 80s? Uh, be riding my prime. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Since the eighties, for sure. Yeah. Um, Tony Bennett is he a dick? He seems like a little no, bit of a dick. Nope. Not, <laughs> no, not not when I worked with with him. To- total gentleman. Do those and, guys uh, hang out with these session musicians afterwards ever? Or? Uh, you know, usually guys like that, they're back to the hotel, flight the next morning, off to the next place. Yeah. 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 yeah do you Do you have any? Down. Give me a story. Give, give me something that I can sink my teeth into. Because I, I love, uh, I, I love listening to. Uh, who did I have on? I had Billy Vera on. Oh yeah. And he, and he's got the the greatest stories, like Joe Pesci stories and stuff. And like you know, and and I know that you don't want to talk out of school, so I'm not looking for scandals or headlines or nothing like that. But I, I was just kind of wondering because I, I in in the small like, um, not I won't call it a career. I nibbled the edges of the music industry as a performer back in the early 2000s. I did like maybe 20 live shows over a period of like three years or something like that. And even right. I have stories <laughs> right. I mean? like, like John led John legend one time um, uh, told me when I walked in, he's just like, he's like, are you my drummer? And I'm like, yes, ah. I, I don't know how to play the drums. Right? Like, and he brought me up because I just wanted to go into the green room with John legend. I'm just like, Oh, I'm not playing this venue, and I just like took off. I got all nervous or whatever. But do you, right. it, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but give me give me something to sink my teeth into. Well, I got a funny story. Uh, I was uh, getting married in Key West because we used to play down in Key West all the time with downtown at the Green yeah. Parrot. So the night before I got married, we went to the Green Parrot, and there was a band there from uh, Boston, uh, Sweet Daddy Coolbreeze. So I look at the stage and I look at the drummer. And it was Kennard Johnson that used to play with James Cotton that I knew really well. Oh, so wow. Kennard, like, Pat, Pat, what's going on? What's going on, dude? And I said, well, you know, we're, I had no idea you were here. We were just here hanging out. And he said, you got to come back tomorrow night and play. And I went, well, you better ask my fiance because oh, yeah. we're yeah, getting married tomorrow afternoon. Well, so my smart wife, man. That's why you're still married, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> but my wife being so gracious, she said to Kennard, of course Pat can play tomorrow night. Nice. So we got married in the afternoon, uh, went to Kelly's for supper time, went to the Green Parrot and played till two in the morning. With That's my beautiful. Good That's pal beautiful. Kennard. Yeah. And then shortly after that, he passed away. So it was uh, oh. good timing to get to see him again. That's another thing about being in the music industry for as long as you have is that you see so many 
people go. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, give me give me a couple of names because I, I know that, uh, you know, you've been playing <clears throat> for so long that like, you know, and, and, and has it ever inspired any um, writing? Uh, not really writing, but uh, my really, really close friend, Michael Fonfera, mm. who had played played with Don Shell from 1980, 1992 till he just passed away uh, in 21. Michael was a complete legend. He yeah. played with uh, John Lee of the Checkmates in Toronto. Uh, he was in the group Rhinoceros. He produced and played with Lou Reed for well over 10 years in the 70s. Wow. Played with the Lincolns in Toronto. And Michael was just, he was incredible. Played in all kinds of bands with him here in Toronto, all kinds of studio sessions. So that's the kind of, you know, people that we're involved with. Okay, well, listen, um, we have Mark, jo do you know who Mark Jordan is? Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, do you do yeah. you do you know him? Know him? I don't know if we've ever met personally, but okay. Well, he's in the green room, and he's supposed to come on any second now, but but he's not on yet. But I want to replug the show. Um, the yeah. legendary downtown. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was just saying yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I was. Um, I was agreeing. Okay. Um, tomorrow night, Massey Hall at 8 p.m. The legendary downchild blues band featuring special guests Daniel Lanois, Natalie McMaster, and Kenny Blues Boss Wayne. This is Pat Carey. Pat, thank you very much for joining us tonight. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, James. You have a good night, sir. You too. Take care. I know. Um, yeah, I love talking to musicians. Musicians are dope. I, I, I see. I see. We have uh, Mark Jordan's head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's attached to all sorts of things. So yes. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm. I'm very well. Um, you? thank you for, I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, Eric Alper, uh, was, was really gracious enough to set up, uh, my interview with Pat and with yourself. When I did my Mark Jordan deep dive, I was just like, why would this guy ever talk to me? <laughs> just, you have, your career is, is amazing. Um, I, I'm looking at all of the people that you've like, now, when I look at the list and I, and I see people like Holly Cole and Natalie Cole and Diana Ross and Cher, Olivia Newton, John. Amanda Marshall, are they singing songs that you wrote for them or covering songs that you did? Covering. Covering. I never I never write for people because it, I actually don't know how to. It's I, hard I, to step into somebody else's emotions, isn't it? Yeah. And they don't, they sound contrived when I tried to. I, I have tried. Uh, so I, I just uh, decided... Uh, I would make songs that were truthful to me. Mm. And then we're all human beings. So there must be, there must be a, something that is resonate to other, other people too. So let, let me ask you, the, I asked Pat a similar question, but um, you know, being around as, as long as you have, do you ever feel like you're, because you never left the industry and I use the example that I use was rappers. Because rappers in the 90s and early 2000s um, would retire at like 35 to 40. Mm. Um, and it was mostly because they stopped working. I'm wondering, because I'm very curious, uh, for a singer-songwriter as accomplished as yourself, if you keep working, do you keep getting better or do you find a stride and you live in that place until you retire? Like for yourself personally. Well, I, I yeah, I can't really speak for others, uh, but I... I, I've changed over the years, for sure. I, you know, you, there's different influences. There's getting older. There's, you know, having children. There, 
your your emotional landscape changes as you get older so um you write differently and uh when i was a young you know in the in the 70s i was just trying to have hit songs you know but in Mm -hmm. but as i grew older i wanted to write songs that had a bigger meaning and i didn't give a fuck about whether they got on the radio or not when you stop giving a fuck about whether or not they got on the radio or not did that sometimes turn out these amazing gems that ended up being on the radio kind of that is the loudest cell phone i've ever heard of that's that's lou Pamont. this is lou pamonti my uh my uh producer lou oh. or i'm doing an interview baby what's that i'm doing an interview are you yeah right this second yeah oh shit okay i'll call you later <laughs> okay sorry best. about that that's all right okay bye. okay bye <laughs> i actually don't care i love that shit i i, I you know <laughs> what i mean like podcasts are some people got podcasts all wrong podcasts are supposed to be casual they're supposed yeah. to be casual, right this is the way it is baby um, life is like that it is who were the guys that you listened to when you were finding inspiration in the 70s like were you bob dylan guy paul simon like well who did you like look up to my father was a classical singer mm-hmm. and um he didn't really you know he, he was in that school but he understood jazz as well and he he understood instinctively a lot about music. And he said to me when I was a young guy, he said, if you want to learn how to sing lyrics, listen to women, listen to Ella Fitzgerald, listen to Billie Holiday, listen to uh, Lena Horne and Nina Simone. And he said, men, don't pay as much attention to the words as women do. And I think he was right. And uh, so I listened to a lot of, a lot of Billie Holiday and a lot of the women that did jazz in the forties and fifties and sixties. And, but I, you know, but then when I heard Dylan, of course that changed my life. Really? How so? Well, because before that, you had writers and you had singers and Bob Dylan was one of the first guys that wrote his own songs and sang them. I did not know that. Really? Well, about it. Yeah. Cause everybody before oh, they were him, doing standards and, and having yeah. people write for them and all that kind of stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. Tin Pan Alley and all those, you know, places in New York where they, they would crank out, out songs. You mentioned, I, I want to go back to the thing that you said about women singers, because one of the things that uh, came to mind, especially when you mentioned Billie Holiday, was not only did women pay attention to the words more, um, maybe even kind of uh, were more technically sound as well, too. Like like their vibrato seemed, you know, like I, when I think of vibrato, I think of, uh, and, a, and a male singer, I think of opera singers like Pavarotti, but you yeah. can name, I can name a dozen uh, women off the top of my head that that mastered that sort of technical part of singing. 
True. And also, they're in the music business, like Billie Holiday, as a black woman in the 40s and 50s. Like, her emotional IQ must have been off the charts. Yeah, I guess so. That I'm, that would be my assumption as well. And, you know, they didn't play instruments. I, Nina Simone did, but by and large, they didn't play an instrument. So the, their instrument was their voice. And so they, they articulated and they spent their time on that, I think. I, when I interview musicians um, that are, you know, in their 20s and 30s, I ask them this question, and I feel like your answer is going to be a lot more compelling because um, did you ever have a chance to work with anyone that was not your idol, but someone that you truly admired before you became a somebody in the industry? Like, what I mean by that is, if you, did you, when you were still cutting your teeth and you like, oh, I love this person, that person, that person, and then maybe 10 years later, you worked with one or two of them. Oh, um, well, um, Joe Cocker, maybe hmm. I was, gee, I was such a fan of his, you know, and then I, I wrote a song that he, he recorded and I also got to do, I got a call late one night <laughs> when I was living in Hollywood and, uh, uh, they said, uh, do you want to do some sing some backgrounds on a record? And I said, sure. <laughs> I said, well, the, the the recording studio. I think it was um, might have been the band's uh, recording studio up the coast a little bit. And I said, so when should I be there? They, there was uh, the guy said one in the morning. Uh, okay. <laughs> Is it a rave? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was Joe Cocker. Yeah, I and know. <laughs> uh, so it was. Uh, that was really something. I was such a thrill for me. And how do you handle something like that? You got to be professional, right? You can't like go in there all giddy. No. Yeah, you gotta. You gotta like pretend. I've been doing it my whole life. Dress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do covers. Yeah. I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play one. Uh, I'm gonna play like uh, the first uh, verse of one. So um, this is Mark Jordan uh, covering "Free Falling." She's a good girl. Loves her mama. Loves Jesus. And America too She's a good girl Crazy about Elvis Loves horses And her boyfriend too It's a long day Living in Reseda There's a freeway Running right through the yard And I'm a bad boy I don't even miss her I'm a bad boy For breaking her heart Cause I'm free Free falling I, I can I can kind of And I don't want to I, I, I might be wrong about this But I, I can feel a little Bob Dylan come out of you When you cover that song no, maybe. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of uh, the verses are uh, half spoken, really. You know. Yeah. Um. When I had Billy Vera on, he said something really interesting, and um, you guys are kind of from the same generation. I was just kind of wondering. I know Billy Vera. You know Billy Vera? Yeah. He. he I, I. I like to. Um. Anytime that I have an opportunity to have someone like yourself on, um, who's who's a legend inside the music industry, I like to talk about black influence in your songwriting or in your music. And I was just wondering if you can, uh, without me trying to extrapolate some big question, let's just leave it at that. And, and if you can give me an idea of the black contribution to to not just your career, but music in general, especially in North America. It's everything. Expand on that. Expand on when everything. I was uh, when I I was just trying to think how old I was when this happened. When I was about 12, 10, 11, 12, my mom bought me a radio, and it had a antenna, and I took a wire and I attached it to the drain pipe of the house, and the other to the radio. And uh, in those days, they didn't play any black music in Canada or Toronto for sure. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Maybe a little Sammy Davis. That was it. It was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So when there was a storm in Cincinnati, I could get the gospel hour in Louisiana. Wow. And I heard the most unbelievable black music, choral groups, church groups. I heard Sam Cooke, and it changed my life. This is, they, <laughs> without that music, you, you have, you have a, you know, America's a country full of Pat Boone's. I'm telling you, it, it, it they're the soul of America. Yeah, they are. You know, what's really interesting and, and I'm not stretching. Um, I'm not stretching this at all. When I was uh, growing up in the early nineties, I couldn't find any hip hop. And the only place I could find it was if I put my uh, radio outside and attached tinfoil to it yeah. to get the only hip hop show that existed. And it, was, it happened to be in Toronto this time. But it's really interesting that you did the same thing. And we both, that's how we both fell yeah. in love with a certain kind of music. Mine was hip hop yeah. and yours and yours was, I guess, gospel soul, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, does, does good music come ultimately, not all of it, obviously, but is there an adage out there that would state that uh, a lot of good music comes from suffering? Well, hardship, you know, I've never really thought about that, but I, 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 certainly a type of music comes from that and a very powerful type of very powerful music comes from, from, from being the underdog being and suffering. I mean, uh, no people have suffered more than uh, African-Americans. That's for damn sure. And, and uh, out of it has come, um, not only uh not only great music but uh 
special people. Yeah. Special people, you know, um, Quincy Jones, uh, told me that when I had dinner with him and he t told me how he got his start and, uh, you got a minute. Yeah, please. Is this the Chitlin tour story? I love that story. No, go ahead, no. please. Well, when he was a child, he joined a gang. There's, I'll make it. I'll kind of make it short. But he was. Um, uh, he joined a gang when he was young. He lived in a tenement. I I met him in L.A. I thought he was Harvard educated. You know, Mensa yeah. student. He he spoke so beautifully. It is just amazing intelligence. And anyway, so. So he joined a gang, and one day the gang guy said, this is when he was about 10, and the gang leader said, we're going, we're breaking into this building, we're going to get some guns. So they all broke into this building on the weekend. And uh, Quincy walked into a room, it was a factory, I don't know what the hell it was, but there was an old upright piano, and he went, boom, 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 boom. And that's it. And he walked out looking for guns, didn't find guns. They went home. He went to bed at night. And he said he couldn't sleep all night just thinking about that piano. And in the morning, he asked his dad if he could get piano lessons. His dad says, I, I can't afford it. And, but in the next tenement, they had heard a guy playing piano. So his dad went door to door and tracked the guy down. Wow. And said, will you give my son piano lessons? And he said, yeah. That's amazing. So how many, how many young kids spent a life in jail but for something like that yeah. occurring? In their life, think about and it. he's clearly, obviously, one of the greatest ever. And the genius. He was, he was the first, <laughs> if I recall correctly, uh, maybe he was the first big name to just be like, "I ain't playing the south." Right? Oh, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah they were segregated. Yeah. yeah, maybe I get too much of my information from the movie Ray, <laughs> <laughs> which was an amazing movie, by the way. It was one of the greatest. Um, listen, uh, the event tomorrow. Mark Jordan, um, waiting for the sun to waiting for the sun to rise. It's your album launch at the Paradise Theater. Yeah, it, the, the doors open at seven. The show is at eight o'clock. Are you as do you get as excited for for these shows these days as you always have? Is it always do you have to come at it with a mindset of like this is the show, this is it, let's do it? Like or 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 do you kind of find yourself in a groove where it's like it's still just as awesome but you, you, you have to approach it differently like I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that kind of stuff because I, I know a lot of musicians that got that I, I know a lot of guys that go on tour and they, they almost seem annoyed by it you know well no I love to play live yeah. I, 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 I you know the whole time I was in uh, California I, I never played live once I was just working I was just recording and writing songs for publishers so that was almost 20 years. And when I came back, I, 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 I did it. And I, I realized something. 
and it's a there's a beautiful connection between an audience and and a singer and you get a lot of it's it's very gratifying and and you just you you just i don't know what it is but there's a connection that is formed in those two hours and it's a it's a beautiful thing and i really missed it during covid because the theater's all closed and and i it was really i it really drove it home to me that that there that people need to be around other people and it's it's uh you know you can only look at yourself for so long and 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 sit in your room and listen to music so much but you need other people and it and I think it's a, there's a, it's a special thing to sit in a room and listen to music together, you know. I, I agree. You do, don't know. Do you think the pandemic um, did something to creatives that, especially musicians and writers and people like that, that um, like I feel like we're entering right now. The pandemic is basically over, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And and I feel like we're entering a new renaissance of music because. People didn't have anything to do. And so creative types were like, well, I might as well just get to work. Have you noticed that? Well, I noticed that's, that's what they did. They just got to work. I mean, everybody's going broke, but we we all kept working and, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping that some great stuff will come out of the other side. And, uh, you know, I've already heard some wonderful things and, you know, it's, um, we need people. We need to be around people. We need to perform for people. We need to speak to people. We need to, songs need to mean something and they need to um, it, say something about the culture. And and it, it, it's a powerful medium and we need to use it for good. Well, you're, you're one of the greatest ever and you definitely use it for good. Once again, Mark Jordan will be playing tomorrow at the Paradise Theater. Doors open at 7, and the show is at 8. Um, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. I really thank appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, right. James. Really yeah, have a good nice. night, sir. Okay, man. Mark Jordan. I, I mean, man, just think about all the stories that, that some of these guys have that have been, like, the people like Mark Jordan and Pat Carey and Billy Vera. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things, someone, someone told me something last week um, that they're like, James, you have all these, like, people on your show that are all like scattered like like you need a niche i don't think i do um i would have liked to have a little bit more time to prepare for these interviews tonight because um they were they were just back to back that was the schedule that they had and that that's fine but i i could spend three hours talking to a guy like mark jordan um you know um you know any anytime someone starts the sentence with i was having dinner with quincy jones once and he told me the story you know you're in the right place (laughs) you know um, but it's uh, it was a real pleasure to talk to both of them um, tonight. Um, provided that Elon Musk doesn't destroy my world as he did last week, uh, we will have Casual Friday at nine o'clock. The usual suspects will be there. I'm not sure if Emma's going to be there or not. I haven't talked to her, but um, uh, Douglas will be there. Paul will probably be there. Um, I'm trying to get uh, this girl. <laughs> that was a funniest story. Of a girl that I met on uh, on Kenny Robinson's uh, the comedian his Facebook thread, and uh, yeah, if she comes on the show, it's, it's one of the funniest stories ever. We're now buds, 
and uh, it's it's gonna be. You guys will be really happy uh, if she shows up because I'm gonna let her tell the story. She's amazing. She's like one of the funniest humans I've ever met, and I just met her like two days ago. So that is coming up at nine o'clock, and so we'll see you then. And that's not the right one. <laughs> I'm having so much trouble with my intros today and outros. For some reason, I gave myself an intro and an outro. I don't know why I did that to myself because now I'm all confused. Um, however, um, <clears throat> we'll see you next time. I'm black, 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 Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. Had all, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.